when you tell me when. <coughs> well, good morning. Um, I think it important to begin with a brief review of what has taken place in the life of Abraham before we come to our study uh, today of Genesis 21, 25, 18. We have learned that Abraham, Abram came from the city Ur in Mesopotamia and that God called him out of that city to go to another country with his barren wife, Sarai, to a land that God would show him, Canaan. There God promised he would make Abram into a great nation and Abram agreed to go and at the same time, and at that time he was 75 years of age. Because of famine, Abram and Sarai and his nephew Lot went to Egypt and because of a bad decision and an encounter with Pharaoh, Abram nevertheless ended up wealthy. Abram and Lot eventually parted company because of their many possessions and Abram was told by the Lord that he would make Abram's offspring like the dust of the earth. So again, the Lord spoke of generations to come for Abram. <coughs> Abram then moved to Hebron, or Hebron, a city located about 19 miles southwest of Jerusalem and a city that still exists today. Hebron is one of the oldest continually occupied cities in the world. The city sat at the juncture of two roadways that ascended from the basin of the Negev Desert. One was Beersheba, from the west and the other arid from the east. Next we learn that Abram rescued his nephew Lot from the king, kings of Sodom and Gomorrah who lived in cities in the Jordan Valley near the Dead Sea. And about this time Abram met the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who was a king or type of Christ who blessed Abram. Even so, Abram lamented to God that he was childless and God told Abram again that his offspring will be as many as the stars. And Abram believed the Lord. However, Abram and Sarai grew impatient and thought better of God's timing and modus operandi. And the result was Abram impregnated Sarai's uh, Egyptian maidservant, Hagar, who then bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old. With the covenant of circumcision, God confirmed this covenant of promise to Abram and changed Abram's name to Abraham and Sarai's to Sarah. And God promised Abraham he would surely give him a son by Sarah in one year's time. And the son would be called Isaac. Abraham, now 99 years old, knew he would be 100 when he became a father and Sarah well past the age of childbearing laughed. And next we learn that God destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their great wickedness in many areas. But Lot, who had settled there, was rescued with his two daughters. And Abraham then moved on into the region of the Negev, a mostly hot, dry region occupied by the Philistines, where he lived a very long time. There Abraham had trouble with Abimelech, the leader of the Philistines, mainly because of another of Abraham's bad decisions concerning Sarah, but that too got sorted out, mostly thanks to Abimelech. And finally, we arrive at our passage for today, which begins with Genesis 21 and the birth of Isaac, the promised son. 
So it had been 25 years since Abraham left the modern city of Ur to follow God's lead. He and his wife became nomadic tent dwellers, and Abraham set up altars to the Lord as they traveled throughout Canaan. Both Abraham and Sarah often experienced trouble, usually because of their own bad decisions, something I can relate to. In chapter 21, there is still trouble with the son Ishmael, who Hagar had born to Abraham, and these two were sent away. However, Moses records God was with the boy as he grew up. Also in this chapter, Abraham has more dealings with another Abimelech and makes a treaty with him at Beersheba. And in verse 33, Moses writes, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. That is El Olam in Hebrew. And oddly enough, that is where I would like to land for most of my talk today, though I will make some reference to happenings that take place through chapter 25, 18. Abraham and Sarah now have Isaac, the long-awaited promised seed. So here, verse 33 again. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. Abraham had been growing in his faith for the past 25 years, and throughout that time, his faith had been sorely tested. And Abraham, during that time, made a number of wrong decisions, and his patience with God's promise for a son from his flesh, his own seed, sometimes grew faint. Nevertheless, his faith and God's intervention sustained him until at 100 years old, finally, had that promised seed. And then even Sarah laughed, a different kind of laugh, one of joy. Now they knew there would be descendants, inheritors of the promise. In response to this good news, Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in the Negev desert and worshiped there. So I asked myself, why a tamarisk tree? This is exactly, exactly, actually the only mention anywhere in scripture of Abraham planting anything other than his own seed in Hagar and Sarah. And why, when wanting to thank God for Isaac, did Abraham choose the name of God, El Olam, as the one that best expressed the core nature of his worship? Because this is the only place in scripture where this exact title for God is given. Abraham knew other names for God and will address him later by another name, Yahweh Yireh, the Lord will provide. And he did that when he called upon he was called upon to sacrifice Isaac. But here it seems, Abraham wanted to acknowledge God as El Olam, the eternal, everlasting God, God without beginning or end. Somehow the living confirmation in the form of Isaac of God's promised seed spoke eternity into Abraham's heart. A tamarisk tree is a bushy plant tree that grows in the desert and is drought tolerant. 
It usually lives a long time, sometimes a hundred years. And a tamarisk protects against blistering desert sun and searing wind. So it's a popular desert tree. Most relevant though, I think, is the fact that a tamarisk tree releases 500,000 seeds per plant per year. That's a spectacular amount of growth and multiplication. There's a saying in the Middle East that you don't plant a tamarisk tree for yourself, you plant it for generations to come. So what better tree to mirror God's promise to Abraham about his prolific seed, his offspring, who were to be too many to count? The planting of the tamarisk tree was Abraham's acknowledgement of the mighty blessing God had placed upon him and his descendants and the promise of their seemingly unending proliferation and inheritance. And the tamarisk tree also symbolized uh, Abraham's great sustaining faith in God's promises, as well as God's protection, and therefore Abraham's hope for the future. So El Olam, eternal, everlasting, sometimes translated as the strong one who lives forever. Abraham did not yet know the seed, Jesus Christ, to whom the birth of Isaac in the next chapter points, as we do. But Abraham believed God's promise and that God had power to do what he had promised, as Paul wrote in Romans 4.21. Abraham believed that God quote, gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were, end quote. That is why in chapter 22 of Genesis, when God told Abraham to go to a place and sacrifice his son, his only son, as the Lord put it, Abraham obediently followed God's instructions. Abraham told Isaac, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Abraham had caught a whiff of resurrection in God's plan. This was Abraham's toughest test and the exercise of his faith actually strengthened him and that was credited to him as righteousness. Paul tells us in Romans 4.23. And he also says those words were written not for him alone but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. So Abraham's understanding of eternity included more than just the continuity of his progeny. And we know that through our faith in Jesus Christ, we also have a promised eternal inheritance as written in Hebrews 9.15 because of the sacrifice of the great seed, our savior Jesus Christ. Paul tells the Galatians and us in 4.28 now you, like Isaac, are children of promise. We are also Abraham's offspring. We serve the triune God, El Olam, and the promised eternal life our Savior, our Savior offers is that inheritance, and it is permanent and irrevocable. We also know from Hebrews 11.10 that Abraham was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose ark with, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. This will be a different kind of city 
from, uh, from Ur in which Abraham had grown up. It will be different from any city on earth. The city John was given a vision of which he recorded in the book of Revelation is the eternal city where all God's children from all nations and from all time will be praising God together forever. So the question is, how often do we actually meditate on eternity and with joy? I mean on the mystery and awesomeness of God's eternality and ours. I don't believe we are meant to do that only as our time grows shorter here on earth, as you may suspect I am doing, for we truly do not know really how long or short our time will be here. We often hear of our time, our life here spoken of as reality. We call time here real time. But reality is not an either or thing, it's both and to God. There is a greater reality with which ours and all of creation's participates because we and everything else derive from an eternal God. And in regard to time, we in the church live on the borderland of no longer and the not yet. Christian hope is both possession and yearning, and Abraham experienced far more of the latter than the former, and it often feels the same for us. God has bestowed on us through Christ this awesome grace of sharing with us himself in both earth time and eternal time, which are parallel realities. Christian author A.W. Tozer wrote, we who live in this nervous age would be wise to meditate on our lives and our days long and often before the face of God and on the edge of eternity. We are made for eternity as certainly as we are made for time. To be made for eternity and forced to dwell in time is for mankind a tragedy of huge proportions. All within us cries for life and permanence and everything around us reminds us of mortality and change. Yet, yet that God has made us of the stuff of eternity is both a glory and a prophecy." End quote. And it was no different to Abraham. And we especially want to remember that an eternal God is spirit and also dwells not in space. We entreated the Holy Spirit in song today and have done so every time we've met here. He is without restrictions of space, ability, or power. God is everywhere and is therefore never spatially near or remote. He is infinite and therefore swallows up space. He is not contained, but contains, as the author of Chronicles declares, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. But mercifully, Jesus tells us that he and his Father will come and make our home with you, with us. So God is nearer to us than we are to ourselves, as Augustine wrote. Christ in us the hope of glory, and that is containment. God is never away from us. He is El Olam, the eternal, ever-present God, and he will carry us into eternity with even the hopes and dreams that have not been fulfilled here, where they will find their ultimate resolution. God, Abraham, and all the faithful will be there, and that knowledge should bring us much joy. 
The next chapter of our passage today covers the death of Sarah at 127 years of age in Hebron. And Abraham weeps over the loss of his wife. Sarah is buried in the cave of Machpelah there, along with later, I might add, Abraham himself, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. They're going to all be buried there. That's getting ahead of things. Chapter 24 covers the arrival of Rebekah on the scene, Abraham's kin, who has chosen his wife for Isaac, a, pr a proposal Rebekah willingly accepts. After Sarah's death, Rebekah becomes the matriarch of the family, and Rebekah has a brother Laban, of whom much more will be written. Chapter 25 covers the death of Abraham at 175 years of age, and also gives a list of Israel's sons. So Jen Wilkins covers all of these stories brilliantly, so I hope you will find to listen to what she has to say, because I'm obviously taking a different track. I just felt I wanted my emphasis this morning to be on the importance of our awareness and understanding of our inheritance because our God is eternal. What are some of the things we've been waiting for for a long time? A better job, even any job, the end of some difficult medical treatment, better finances, more harmony with a marriage partner, with any family member, a new pastor, maybe. <laughs> it is not easy to wait. And I know we all wait for the return of Jesus. So how are we waiting? And how can we wait with hope and with joy, as Sarah did? I believe one way the Lord helps us do that is by what we've been talking about, by understanding that he had put eternity in our hearts. Uh, the King Solomon, they think, is the author of Ecclesiastes, and he mentions the fact that eternity has been put into our hearts. And he does so, God does so, to help us remember our own inheritance when we are experiencing unfulfillment or slow fulfillment of our present desires. Abraham learned to do that in his way. When Abraham died, he only had Isaac as the down payment of God's promise, but he did have Isaac, and we have the Holy Spirit. We may not plant a tamarisk tree, but perhaps we can consider longer and more intentionally all those seeds that fell into the ground this fall that we know will soon break into a riot of color this spring. They're all signs of new life that that great seed Jesus Christ ushered in. And may that truly strengthen our faith in the promises of God and help us be guided by and comforted by the Holy Spirit so that we can make good decisions while here on earth and enjoy the love and presence of the risen Lord until we see him face to face in heaven. I'd like to close with a prayer by Evelyn Underhill and address it to our triune God, El Olam. Let us pray. O God who made the stars and turns the shadow of death into the morning, we render you, our Lord and King, the tribute of praise for this new day, for the everlasting hopes that rise within the human heart, and for the gospel which has brought life and immortality and light. Amen.